So how do we have two different occurrences in this way? And to make even matters even more complicated, when we get into the, the second part of this here tonight, Daniel's buddies, when they go into the fiery furnace, they say our God will deliver us. But Hebrews says that they did it. They said it was their faith. So Hebrews is saying it's the faith of Daniel that stopped the mouths of lions and the faith of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as um, the the ones who quenched the fire. The, the fires, uh, the vengeance of the, of the fire. So are the people who were there right? Or is a person who wasn't there right? <laughs> because when you when you look at all this, it's very distinct, very distinctly different. Uh, call up our verse here in Hebrews. For some reason, I copied all the other ones over, but not that one. Let's read it over again and see how he puts it here in Hebrews. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and the prophets. Now there's the, the grouping of them, the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So right, stop right there for a minute. Stopped the mouths of, through faith. Through faith. We're talking about men on this world doing great things. And it says they stopped the mouths of lions. Now how many other people stopped the mouths of lions? We have a few that killed lions, but not ones that stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel is the only one in the Word of God we have that would uh, hit that qualification. Go on to the next verse. Quench the violence of fire. Now we have different ones who have sent fire. You know, Elijah was good at that. He, he knew how to send the fire. <laughs> but he never quenched the fire. The only ones we had that quenched the fire were our three buddies here. Now we can, we're not going to get into the rest of them here. Escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies, uh, armies of the aliens, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. We covered some of them, but these are the ones we're focusing on here tonight. Stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire. So, in order to cover this, we've got to go back to the source. Let's go back over to Daniel, the sixth chapter. This is a chapter that I, I love the chapter, and we don't cover it, uh, cover it that much. Most of the time we go through Revelation, we skip over this because it doesn't have anything to do with end times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're going to spend some time on it here tonight. Because when we think of it, what's, what's your memory of the, the story of Daniel? Whenever you hear the story of Daniel... We always think that God stopped the mouths of the lions. And Hebrews has a whole different view. So in, in, uh, chapter six, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors of whom Daniel was one. And the satraps might give account to them. So the king would suffer no loss. Then as Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. 
They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Isn't it interesting to see that when God's man wants to be put into a position of power and they can't find any good reason, we're going to try and find some accusation, some way to bring his character down or to make other people doubt it, even though we can't find any fault. So, then these men said, We will shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever, and all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm degree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Now I often wonder about this when I go through it. Why'd they wait till the third time? Why not just seize upon it in the first time? And I have no uh, real good answer for it. I, I don't know. Maybe they were so sure that he would just keep on doing his thing that they could say he did it morning, noon, and whatever his three times were. But um don't know. Verse 12, And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast in a den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, before it was this Daniel, now it's, <laughs> it's that Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you. Now what's interesting about that to me here is that Daniel came over as a captive under Nebuchadnezzar, which was of the Babylonians. The Babylonians have come and gone. We're now under the Persians. And they still refer to him as a captive from the old realm. Verse uh, 14, And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. I'll tell you what, that's it's not something you find all the time. The people who will be displeased with themselves when they messed up. Usually we try and fund somebody else. But he didn't. He didn't try and blame anyone else for it. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Now they've exposed themselves here. It's very clear that they made this whole thing up just to get Daniel. And uh, they're basically coming back and telling the king, well, now nothing you can do. You know it. You tried. We gave you some opportunity. And you didn't do it. So I don't know how they expect to be promoted in the kingdom where they take Daniel's spot if they wipe out his, his guy. Guy that he likes. But somehow they do. 
So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, He will deliver you. Who would deliver him? God. One of the writer of Hebrews just didn't read chapter 6 of Daniel. <laughs> then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting, lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the Lord, of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, he's had all night to think about this. He was a little more sure before. <laughs> you ever been that way? Real sure about something, and we have all night to think about it. You kind of, kind of iffy on it. Yeah, happens to a lot of us. So then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now who wrote this book? Daniel did. Who was in the lion's den? Daniel was. Who's the only person who can give the narrative of what happened in the lion's den? Because there's a stone on top that sealed it. No one else could see inside. Just Daniel. He wrote the book. And he left all the details out. <laughs> he doesn't say a single thing. He just says he got put in, and in the morning they took him out. Now if you were Daniel in the lion's den, and you were writing the book, how many might have a couple of chapters on what happened in there? <laughs> We'd be talking about this. <laughs> well, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> the big one came right for me. <laughs> but he puts down his role here completely, as if he had no role in it at all. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Hmm. And the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Now think about this just for a minute, because sometimes we can read past this and, and, and miss it. Before we put Daniel in the lion's den, and we put the seal on top, if you heard any noises of lions eating something, the king would not have wondered what happened. If you heard any noises of a person crying out in pain because he was being eaten, which 
I don't care how much faith you're in. I think if you're getting eaten by a lion, it probably would cause you to say a few things. Cry out something. But none of that was going on. So Daniel goes down into a lion's den and not a sound apparently is made to identify what's going on. But as soon as these guys go in there, Daniel says before they even hit the ground. Now there was more than one or two. I don't know how many, but I'm going to say there's got to be at least five or six. But let's just cut it. Let's let's just say there were three. If there were three, three guys and their wives, that's six people. And if they uh, had kids, let's just use a modern day number, 2.3 kids. (laughs) Well, that would be uh, 6.9. So we'll just round it down and say six. So, and of course they had a lot more kids than we were having, having now. So I would say that number is higher. But let's just, let's just work off of low numbers. That's six adults and six kids. If we're working on, on really no, and probably the number was much higher than it. That before they hit the ground, there's enough lions in there to make sure that each one of them had their bones broken before they hit. And yet Daniel gets in there and nothing happens. So when did the angel arrive? Angel's got to be in there before he's even around. And he's, the angel stops the mouths of the lions. So it would seem from Daniel's account here and from what we're seeing as far as the evidence uh, that Daniel does give us, he doesn't tell us a whole lot that we can, we can go on here, but from what we do have, he um, at least lets us know that, at least we can assume that the angel's in there before he ever gets in. And that the lion's mouths are stopped because they apparently don't even make a move for him. So that all occurs before him. Daniel attributes it all to God and not a bit of it to himself. But the writer of Hebrews puts him in the Hall of Fame for it. Well, he goes on, King Darius goes on, he uh, writes a decree and talks about how great God is and great a guy Daniel is and all sorts of stuff like that. And if you want to go through there and, and read all that, we have a lot of scriptures to read tonight, so I'm going to leave those off because it, it shows us what we, we have to see. So we would take from the account here in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel says that God did it. Even though Hebrew says that Daniel did it. Let's go on to quench the, the violence of fire. So Daniel says the Lord did it. Hebrew says faith of Daniel was what's involved. Guess you didn't get those blanks. I think you did, but. So Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 
six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and the king Nebuchadnezzar sent word and gathered together the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Of course, this image came after Daniel had the vision of the image of gold. He made an image of gold, put his face on it. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So Babylonians have a fiery furnace. <laughs> Persians have a den of lions. Neither seems pleasant. So at the time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. Now, when you get to heaven, you can ask Daniel, why do you have to repeat these things so often? (laughs) Who's there? What music we're playing? So much detail in this story. And with Daniel in the lion's den... He went in, he came out. You know, that's a <laughs> and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who can deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now, the if that is the case is not if our God delivers us. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the king and what he might do. But they have no doubt about what God's going to do. So if you go ahead and do this, go and play the music again or not play the music again or put us in the furnace, whatever you decide to do, you go ahead and do that, put us in the burning fiery furnace, he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, if you don't put us in, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Nobody will worship the gold image which you have set up. So if you kill us, threaten to kill us, we're not going to worship. And if you let us live, we're still not going to worship. We're just, we're not going to do it. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar is full of fury. How many times have we heard that he's full of fury? And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. We ought to take a count. How many times does he call it the burning, fiery furnace? Hmm. And these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and the other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, even know what they're wearing when they're cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And we know that they're bound when they're cast into the burning, fiery furnace. We know the temperature somewhat of the... We know that it's hotter than usual. We don't know if it's a sunny day or a rainy day. But most of the other details we are aware of here. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I wonder how many times he says their names, <laughs> fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fiery? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, the ministers, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trust in him and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that all people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted, because you're wondering who that might be, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of, the, of Babylon. So we're going some fun homework. Count up those, uh, those sets. How many times he repeats these things. And then you talk about his story. And uh, nothing. Hardly any details at all. More details on what happens to the guys who went in after him. Than about him. Well. So in this narrative we have uh, more detail on what happened inside of the fiery furnace than we did inside the den. We have very bold words that were used before the king. But it still seems that the presence of, of the Lord in the furnace is what is attributed to the fact that the, they didn't get burned up. It is attributed by the words of... What were the three guys again? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just in case you forgot. 
<laughs> These three guys say that our God is able to deliver us. <coughs> King Nebuchadnezzar says no, no God is able to deliver like this God. He attributes the deliverance to God. Of course, it's the Lord Jesus that's inside of there. Not just an angel. <clears throat> and their bounds, of course, the ropes, they all burned off. But just not their, not their own clothes. So they had the bold pronunciation, our God is able to deliver us. They expected God to deliver them. But in their expectation, God was going to deliver them. In Nebuchadnezzar's own words, God was going, or had, delivered them. And the picture that we have inside the furnace is that Jesus Christ Himself came down and His presence caused them not to burn. But you go over to Hebrews and what does He say again? That through faith, He didn't say through faith for this specific thing, but He said through faith for all this, these things that were done, that they quenched the what? They quenched the vengeance of fire. Now, if Hebrews is saying that the three guys did it, forgot their names. Where they gone? <laughs> if Hebrews is saying that the three guys did it, but the three guys are saying the Lord did it, Nebuchadnezzar is saying the Lord did it, and Daniel is saying that the Lord did it, but Hebrews is saying that Daniel did it, what's going on here? Why do we have such a blatant discrepancy between the accounts? So, in order to come out to an understanding of why these guys say the Lord did it, and Hebrews says they did it. We're going to go over to some other accounts to help shed light on. Other accounts where we have a little bit more detail. And not these. We've got a lot of detail in the fiery furnace, but not the details we want. So we're going to go over here to, first off, in Mark chapter 5. Now there's uh, some similarities. This is why I picked these three particular ones. There's some similarities here that will help us understand. Because there's, there's a meaning that we need to, to see and to get. In Mark chapter 5, very familiar story for you. Verse 25, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things and many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said, If only I may touch His clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in Himself that power had gone out of Him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude throng you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. For he was still speaking, or while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I read through that kind of fast because we've been through this a number of times and I just want us to take a look at, at this particular part of it. The woman was healed by whom? Her faith. 
Can you see that this has a little bit of the same similarities? Power went out from Jesus. So you could in effect say that Jesus healed her. But he wasn't involved. And when Jesus gets done, what's he say? Your faith has healed you. But if you stand back and you look at it, if Jesus wasn't there, would she have been healed? (laughs) Her object of her faith was if I touched the hem of His garment, Jesus' garment, because she knew there was healing power in in there. And Jesus, with that healing power, felt it it go, felt it release. So we have a very similar situation here where it looks like Jesus is the one responsible but just like the writer of Hebrews does, Jesus says, you did it. So just like Hebrews says, Daniel did it, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did it, Jesus says, you did it. But all other indications are, Jesus did it. Alright, that's our first story. Matthew 9.22 and Luke 8.48, if you want to write those verses down. Those are the accounts in the other Gospels and it uses the same phraseology, your faith has made you well. It is Matthew chapter 9, verse 22 and Luke 8, 48. You'll see the exact same thing. So three times it has told us, your faith has made you well. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now when, now they came to Jericho and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude with blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? So based on Jesus' words, who's doing the act? Jesus is. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. But who did Jesus say was going to do it? (laughs) He says, He's going to do it. But in the end, he says, you did it. (laughs) One more. Luke chapter 17, verse 12. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, why is he falling down on his face and giving thanks to Jesus? Because in his mind, Jesus did it. Jesus is the reason that he's healed. So Jesus answered and said, "Where Were there not ten cleansed? Where, But where are the other nine? Were there not... Any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
So these are just three stories. You could probably go in there and find some more, but you, you get the idea. That it looks like Jesus is the one who's responsible. But in all three accounts, Jesus says, you did it. So even though we may say that there's a contradiction between Hebrews saying that the men did it, but the men are saying that God did it, we see the same thing going on here in the New Testament. So why does this happen? Why do we have it in one place that God is looked at as the one, and then other places it says, no, it was the faith of the men that did it? Men just in general, of course, the one was a woman. So what would that be? So each time, Jesus seems to be the one doing something. Each of these three times, Jesus seems to be the one that is doing something. And each time, Jesus points to their faith. Your faith got it done. So I just left you here with this question. So who done it? Somebody did it. It's kind of like when the when you come into a room, if you have multiple kids and something has been broken, what do they all do? He did it. No, she did it. I didn't do it. They did it. <laughs> Everybody's pointing to somebody else. So who done it? There's a reason why we ought to know this. So I put three words here in your in your outline. The vehicle, the channel, and the recipient. That in our cases with Jesus, Jesus was the vehicle. He was not the source. That's important to note. Jesus is not the source of the healing. He is the vehicle. Blind Bartimaeus, the woman with the issue of blood, the ten lepers are the recipient. But Jesus is the vehicle. So God is the source it comes through the vehicle of Jesus. The healing power is in Jesus. But it has to be accessed into the recipient. And that's what the channel is. There must be a channel created between the vehicle and the recipient. Somehow that, what is in Jesus, has to flow to them. You gotta get a channel. We gotta get something moving on there. Now, how that channel gets built is what comes into question. You see, there are some times that Jesus built the channel. And there are other times that the people built the channel. With the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. Who built the channel through which what was in Jesus came to her? She did. She built the channel. And that's why Jesus says, your faith... Your faith has got this thing done. And the same with the other two situations that we have. But we have other cases where uh, the recipient didn't build the channel. Such as uh, the, the widow who had lost her son. And Jesus came in and interrupted the funeral procession and said, just kind of hold yourself here. And he just went up there and pulled him out. There was no faith being exercised by the widow. There was certainly no faith being exercised by the son. He was dead. It's tough for dead people to exercise faith. They just can't get that confession down. (laughs) When 
the recipient is the one who built the channel. And I put this in parentheses right underneath the part there where the channel and the recipient is. That's faith. That's when Jesus could say, your faith has made you whole. Because their faith built the channel. With the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus did not build the channel between him and the recipient. She did. She did it by saying with her mouth, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. And so she built that channel through faith. She had to get to Jesus, but she built that channel through faith. When the one who is the vehicle, Jesus in this case, when he builds the channel, it's called compassion. There you go. Jesus had compassion on the widow. There are times that Jesus had compassion. There are some times, we've, we've mentioned this before, uh, that compassion and faith are both involved. That there's compassion on Jesus' part to make up for the lack of faith, but there is some faith, but to make up for the lack of it, there's compassion. And so sometimes you have both going on. So that's the same principle you know, we've seen in the Word of God before. So in all these narratives, when the recipient provides a channel, it's identified as your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well, whatever it might be. Now when Jairus, we didn't cover that part of the story in the first one with the woman with the issue of blood, but of course when Jairus came, he came to Jesus and he said, if you will come, and lay hands on my daughter, she will live. And so then Jesus was coming. Who built the channel? He did. Now he built that channel. Jesus didn't build it. He didn't know who he was until he came up to him. He didn't seem to have an assignment from God as he did with the uh, demoniac in the, um, in the rocks. And you know he came off the boat, got, him, uh, got the legion cast out of him. He seemed to have an assignment on that one. And he had compassion on the, on the man, certainly. But here, we have, um, with Jairus, that he came to Jesus and he made his confession on it. And so then Jesus was going. On the way, they got the news. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? That could cause him to collapse the channel. You see, the channel was built from the recipient to the vehicle, Jesus. If he collapses it, what happens to the recipient getting what's needed? Well, we've closed the door. We can't get there. And that's why Jesus, you see, with very with great urgency, don't be afraid. Only believe. You had to keep him in that place. You, you've got this channel. We can do something with this channel. You got it opened up here. And so he's looking to keep that channel going. I don't know if he could not pick up compassion after faith has been initiated. That may have been the reason. It seemed that Jesus wanted to. But that's certainly one where we would have seen that if he would, if he could have transferred over and gone from faith to compassion, he would have done it there because it certainly seemed like he wanted to. But he doesn't do it. That's just something for you to put in your meditator and think on. Now, when Peter and John came to the gate, beautiful. Who's the vehicle? It's no longer Jesus, is it? 
So who's the vehicle when Peter and John come to the beautiful gate? They are. It's real important to note this because Jesus does not heal people as the source. He heals them as the vehicle that is used. God is the source. If he healed people as the source, we couldn't go out and do what Jesus did. He healed people as the vehicle with God as the source. So Peter and James, or Peter and John could step right in that role and be the vehicle as Jesus was because he did it as a man. Not as God. So they could step in there and they could be that, they could be that vehicle. And they were looking to create a channel between him and the man. And it said in the word of God, and when they came to him and they saw that he was expecting something. Aha. Uh-huh. We have a channel that has been opened up here. And so they operated on that, on that channel. Before going by there, that channel wasn't opened. But on this day, that channel was open. Because that channel was there, they seized it, they jumped on it, and they did it. Now, um, I, I don't know if I put this, I don't think I had any room. I gave you a lot of blank lines in there because you can write down what you, what you wanted to, what was important to you. But we do not perform miracles. We do not perform miracles. Miracles are performed through us. If you are going to become a vehicle through which the power of God comes, you do not perform miracles. Take you back to the words of Paul. Why do you look on us as if by our own strength? We have our, uh, Peter, I guess, said it. By our own strength, we have caused this man to walk. It's not by our own strength. He says, we didn't perform the miracle. We're not the source. When um, uh, Paul was on the island and they wanted to sacrifice to him because of the miracles they saw. And he stopped them. Because he, he is not performing miracles. He is the vehicle through which the miracles are being performed. Now that channel, if we're going to build a channel between us and the vehicle, whether that would be someone that God has given a gift of healing to, someone that God has given a gift of faith to, someone that is going to do uh, laying on of hands, as was done in the New Testament, whatever it might be, if we are going to access that that channel, it can only be done through faith. It can't be any kind of other thing. It has to be done through faith. This is where a lot of Christians, we, we falter. Go back to the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You didn't forget the names, right? <laughs> Our God is well able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. Our God, your fiery furnace. We take ownership of our God, not your fiery furnace. <laughs> That's your fiery furnace. This is our God. He is well... They're, they're absolutely sure. And I don't care if you play the music now, play the music later, don't play the music at all. We aren't going to bow. You can do what you want. But I can tell you right now, there's no sense in playing the music if the only reason for playing the music is to get us to bow because we're not going to bow. And if you throw us in the fiery furnace, fine. Our God is able. Our, our God, will, he, He's going to do it. There's no doubt from them that, that God is going to deliver them. 
See, that's a certainty. And that's where we have to get to. We have to have that certainty that I know from the Word of God. This is where we, we have to be careful. And, you know, sometimes we, we do this in prayer lines and you have, to, you have to watch this. But sometimes people just mimic faith. They're not, um, they're not really believing anything. Or someone, I've seen this before, someone brings somebody else up and they want to be healed of this. And I try and get involved them in the conversation. What do you want? What do you believe? And a lot of times you can hear it. They're just repeating what's, well, yeah, I want to be healed. But you see, we're not in a place of faith. We're in a place of, of uh, wish, wishing. I wish that I would get healed. I hope that I get healed. But I don't know that I'm going to be healed. See, we haven't built that conduit. We haven't built that, that channel, that place for it to, to go. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they provide the channel. And that's what Hebrews is pointing to. They provided the channel. They gave God the opportunity to bring His power, who is the source, to bring His power into it. So though they're looking at it that God came and did this, Hebrews is looking at it, alright, God may have come and done that, but it's the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that caused the fire to not be able to do what it was intending to do. It was the faith of Daniel that caused God to be able to stop the mouths of lions. So he's looking at it from that standpoint. So that's how you can have two completely different accounts and they're both right. Daniel's looking at what God did on his behalf. Hebrews is looking at what Daniel did to give God that opportunity. Now I put this little note in there. You can write this down there if you want to. However you want to, to do it. But just kind of a side note. If we want to operate in the compassion of God. If you want to operate in the compassion. I'm not talking about having compassion. I'm talking about if you want to operate in the compassion of God. You have got to become a vehicle, not a recipient. you got to be one through whom the power of God moves. Jesus was moved with compassion and healed their sick. If you want to be moved by the compassion of God, if you want to step out in the compassion of God, then you've got to get from the place of being a recipient to a place of being a vehicle. Not the source. You're never going to be the source. You're never going to be the one who performs the miracle. You're going to be the vehicle through whom God uses. But you've got to become that vehicle in order to have that compassion activated. Because it's the faith that's on the part of the recipient. It's the compassion that's on the part of the vehicle. When we put compassion on the side of the recipient instead of faith, you put compassion We've turned them into a beggar. A person on the recipient side who tries to move the other side into compassion is a beggar. Oh God, please. 
if you just do this one thing for me, I won't ask for anything else ever. See, we're begging. Oh God, I've never asked you for anything. Oh God, the pain is so bad. I just have to get healed of this because it's just so unbearable, this pain. Oh, I just can't. We get into the area of begging because I'm trying to activate His compassion. But begging doesn't activate the compassion of God. It, act, it activates the compassion of men, but it doesn't activate the compassion of God. We have to get out of that, out of that part. If we are, if we are a recipient, and without the faith of God, or the God kind of faith, and I don't have that, I'm just hoping. I'm just wishing. I'm not believing. I gotta get to a place where it has that certainty. Now you can find out, do I have that kind of certainty? Or just listen to yourself. Do we, do these kind of things come out of our, come out of our mouth? I'm not saying that they enter your mind. Certainly they may enter your mind and you can just rebuke them and, and chase them out. But don't give voice to these kind of things. Oh, I am so discouraged. Facing this day in and day out. Hmm. So I'm not convinced that what God's word said is true. I'm not convinced. Because if I was convinced, I wouldn't be talking like that. Well, you don't know how long I've been going through. No, I don't. And you don't know how long I have or anybody else has. But it doesn't make any difference. How long had the guy been lame? Who's at the gate? See, the length of time that we have something, the severity of it is not what moves God. It's the faith. It's that expectation. I've got to be able to build that conduit, that channel, through which what the vehicle has can come and, and reach me. Once I build that bridge, once I build that, that lane for that to come, I mean, it comes fast. That woman built that bridge, she built that conduit up, and when it, when she touched it, bam! It was just there like that. But you see, she built up her faith based on what she heard about Jesus. She heard about people touching him and the power went out from him into them. Well, I bet if I just go up and touch him, that this, and she built up her faith on what would, what would be going on. But we're not taking the time to do that. A lot of times, well, there's a prayer line, I'll just get it. Maybe, maybe I might get something. You never can tell. Might be your night. Might be your time to, to get something from God. That's, uh, that's not certainty. We gotta pull back on this thing, go back over the scriptures. Father God, I need to have some, some scripture on this. Brother Hagin used to always tell people, what scripture are you standing on? What is it that's telling you you have faith for this thing? He's never, he never would say there isn't any scripture in there. And he wouldn't tell them, well, you could use this scripture because it wasn't important that there was a scripture. The existence of a scripture wasn't important. What was important is that that person had that scripture, meditated on that scripture, built faith off of that scripture, and was in a spot ready to receive, had built that conduit. But a lot of people just think, well, just so one exists, that's all I need. 
I don't need the existence of Scripture to get my miracle, to get my provision, to get whatever it is that's, that I'm believing God for. I don't need the existence of it. I need it to be in me and for me to meditate on it to the point that I know. I could be like Daniel. Yeah, I'm going in there. Right down there with the lions. It's going to be fine. Yeah, we're going in that fiery furnace. We're not afraid because we're certain. We're going to go down in there. And then we're coming out. Can you imagine having that certainty? No one's ever gone into a fiery furnace before and come out. <laughs> but he's sure. They're absolutely positive. I'm going down and I'm coming back out. He was sure. And that's what we got to have. But you see, the devil wants to keep trying to wear you out, wear you down. How long have you been going through this? Haven't you believed in that before? Haven't you trusted God in that before? Don't you think God ought to have done something by now? And he starts doing these things to wear you down, to get you into a place of certain, uh, knowing for certain what's going to happen, to a place of, I hope this goes on. I hope I get this. I hope this is the way that it then it goes and we, we go from faith to wishing. But we still think we're in faith. But you cannot cause the other, the vehicle to have compassion by begging. That's not, not the compassion of God. You know, Peter and John, such as I have, I give to you. They had it. It was down on the inside of them. If that guy would have come and begged, pleaded, that wouldn't have activated the compassion of God, would have activated their compassion. But what they needed to get that, that gift going was the compassion of God. That's what we, we need to do as well. But we got to get out of the place of just being recipients of miracles and be ones for which the power of God comes through us and we are the vehicle. Doesn't mean because you're a vehicle you never need to be a recipient again. Doesn't, doesn't mean that at all. But we need to get to that place where I'm not just satisfied, I just want to receive miracles. I want to be the one that God uses for miracles to happen to other people. There's a vehicle, there's a channel, there's a path, there's a way, and there's a recipient. As the recipient, through faith alone, you can build that, that channel. As a vehicle, through compassion, you can build it. If it's the compassion of God. Not my own compassion or my own feeling sorry for them. <clears throat> has to be the compassion of God. And of course, we know from Jesus' ministry, there were times that both were involved and both built that, that conduit. Well, Father, I thank you that you have called us not just to be recipients of miracles, not just to be recipients of the power of God, but Father, you've called us to be vehicles through which the power of God will flow to minister to the people that are around us. And just as Jesus ministered here on this earth as a vehicle, not as a source, but as a vehicle, one whom God used, we can do the same. We need to get to a place where we don't just believe God for miracles to come to us. But we act as a vehicle those giftings that you have put in our life would be at work as we pray and minister to the people around us. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Any comments, things to add, or anything I left off? That level of um, conviction um, is absent. There's absence of uh, fear. Yes. Uh, and I believe that has to, you must speak the word into you so much that you're built up in, in that, that foundation to where you're not moved by the physical. You're very convinced of the love of God. Yes. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. um, for them to be thrown in the fire, that was a real situation where if they, their faith wasn't there, they didn't believe God. <clears throat> they could have been burned up. Could have been. You know, yeah, that, and the reality of that and that conviction level uh, uh, is the way I uh, aspire, to, aspire to be, you know, that, that kind of faith level yeah. you know. so, that's my amen right behind you I like what you said when you said that they said our God your firmness yeah. and I wrote down don't take ownership of a thing that is not from God. You know, and they were like, that's your furnace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our God is able to deliver us from your furnace. Yeah. And I think we need to be more about when situations come our way that it's not from our God. Mm-hmm. You know, this is life's whatever. This is the world's whatever, which goes along with what Connie was saying on Sunday about how we respond because yeah. I thought about that as well and you know that you know something comes our way and the first thing we want to do is go to the world solutions or respond that way and then go oh let me back up a minute you know and then so we really need to get like you said because I, I think if we're vehicles then we don't have that issue either yeah you know, so good. I like that. Anyone else? Anything from our Facebook folks? <laughs>